the unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So we got sun out there, but it's cold. It's just uh, spring, early summer in the mountains. And I think it's better cold than hot for meditating and the like. Um, so today I'm going to talk about the five contemplations for everyone. Uh, I've talked about this before. I think I talked about it at the last retreat I did on the Pali Canon. But I think that there really something really helpful in our practice. So I feel it's good to talk about them again. As you know, impermanence is a core teaching of the Buddha, of Buddhism. Uh, some people say that uh, Buddhism has a rather negative view of existence. All we do is talk about suffering. Everything is suffering. And furthermore, everything is impermanent. Well, actually, that's not quite true. <laughs> the, the Buddha taught there is suffering, not that everything is suffering. That's, that's a distinction, that there is suffering, not that everything is suffering. And when he taught about suffering, um, he always taught about an end to suffering. There, there is a way to the end of suffering. And in that end to suffering, we find an end to birth and death, this is what we call nirvana, and still we're going to die. So there is something beyond impermanence and permanence. Some people call it the deathless, the unborn, the undying, the unconditioned. The way we begin to find that place is to look squarely at birth, illness, old age, death, and separation and loss from what we hold dear and loved. So these um, five themes all point to the impermanent nature of life, but they point in a way that is, that is very hopeful. In the beginning, a section of the Dhammapada called the Twin Verses, or sometimes simply the, the, like the dichotomies, hard for me to say, uh, the Buddha uh, says this, and I'm going to give you two translations of this. So the first one is from uh, Gil Fronsdale. He's a Western Buddhist teacher, and he's authored many books. Many do not realize that we here must die. For those who realize this, quarrels end. Okay? And the second translation is from Venerable Ananda Maitreya. He's a very famous um, scholar monk. He's dead now, but, you know, if you ever saw, I think, it, the, the BBC film called The Long Journey, um, that's him in Sri Lanka. So anyway, he translates this as, there are those who, who are aware that they are always facing death. Knowing this, they put aside all quarrels. So when we contemplate um, correctly the impermanent nature of life, it leads us to put down our arguments with others and realize that time, people, 
and opportunities are precious. We simply don't know how much time we or others have. So we need to see clearly and be responsible for our thoughts, words, and deeds. So I'm going to talk about the five contemplations, or sometimes they're called the five themes now in the sutta. And the sutta is in the book of the fives in the Anguta, I hope I can get this right, Anguta Tara Nikaya, um, which translates as the numerical discourses of the Buddha. So you can find them there. But the Buddha begins, there are these five themes or facts that should be reflected upon by a woman or a man, by a householder or one who has gone forth, in other words, a monk. So the first of these is I am subject to old age. I am not exempt from old age. Two, I am subject to illness. I am not exempt from illness. Three, I am subject to death. I am not exempt from death. Four, I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me. And fifth, I am the owner of of my karma, the heir of my karma. I have karma as my origin, karma as my relative, karma as my resort. I will be the heir of whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. So four of these themes, obviously, and ultimately, we cannot stop from happening. If we are lucky, we live, excuse me, if we are lucky, we will age and live a long life. But as we know, not everyone does. Um, There's no guarantees. As the Buddha got old, and it was 80s, I think Ananda one day was, was rubbing his back, and for some reason he noticed, you know, but it probably didn't go on for quite a while, that the, that the Buddha's skin had, was losing its luster and his body was becoming flabby. Well, he's 80 years old. Um, you know, what, 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 what did uh, Ananda expect? So with age, our spine compacts. You know, our spine has done also all this hard work in our life, we, we, rather than grow taller, we grow shorter. Um, our hair thins, grays, or maybe we lose it. Um, it's not like uh, if we grow old, we just fold up and are no longer good for anything. But there is no fountain of youth. If we reflect correctly on aging, though, we realize that what is happening is natural, the way it is. Um, In youth, we may have been intoxicated with youth. And sometimes with this, we can be careless and careless in what we do and worse. Um, Reverend Master G used to say that when you're young, you think you're a super person. Well, I think that's, if you've not had illness already, you know, some kind of severe illness, but... You know, I think it's true for myself. You know, you, th- you, th- you think you're infallible. Um, and not infallible, what's the word? Um, anyway, you think you're going to live forever. Um, and um, in time, you know, uh, we realize we're aging. Um, and we, not, we need not give in to fear of aging. And we want to be responsible for how we live and do what we can to aid the process. Take care in what we do. We take care of ourselves. 
Above all, we don't want to keep creating more and more karma. So we don't have to wait to old age to do this. As the Buddha says in, in the sutta, at any point in life we can abandon and, or dis, diminish our intoxication with youth and live a perceptual life that benefits ourselves and others. But aging is just natural. And as I say, if you're lucky, you get to age. The second theme is I am subject to illness. I am not exempt from illness. We should take care of ourselves mentally, physically, and spiritually. Modern medicine has made great strides and discoveries, and now there are cures for illnesses that once were a, a death sentence. Still, for as much as we know, there are many things that we don't have a remedy or a cure for. Sooner or later, death will knock on our door. You just don't know. We can be intoxicated with health and life, trying to desperately hold on to them, and possibly making lots of bad choices as a consequence. Or we can live a life based on precepts, generosity, and compassion. Reverend Master G was, was a tremendous example to me of someone who was very ill, you know, from the beginning in the early 1970s when I uh, met her and came here, she was ill. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't get better. She, she, she was more ill over the years. But uh, she was also someone who was fully engaged in life. She didn't let, let illness stop her from that. She did what she could for her health, but she wasn't holding on to life. And she really fully participated in all she could. She did not hold back from fear of illness and death. She was fearless, really. If we often reflect on illness and health, just sit with them. And intoxication with health can be diminished and abandoned. Rearrange the pages there. Excuse me a second. So, death is the, is the third contemplation or theme. And I am sure to die. I cannot avoid death. So, death, as we all know, is the one certainty in life. Being born, you're going to die. We all hope we have a long time to live, and yet we simply don't know. So um, I lost my best friend at age 15. He was 15. I was 14. You know, he, just had, he had a lot going for him. He was handsome. He was a leader. And he died in his sleep one night. So out, out of fear of death, we can become intoxicated with life. And sometimes as a result, we make bad decisions, causing hurt and pain for ourselves or others. Or we can often, and some Buddhist teachers say daily, reflect on death. Just be still with this fact. And an intoxication with life can be either diminished or completely let go of. If done with the mind of meditation, this reflection is not morbid. Um, it's just being totally honest with the way things are. If there is life, there will be death. So the fourth contemplation or theme is I must be parted and 
departed from everyone and everything near, dear and agreeable to me. So this is in fact talked about in the first noble truth when it says that to be parted from that uh, which is dear and near to us, that's, that's the suffering, that's the cause of suffering, can be. So uh, my little sister died last year around this time. Keep this together. Uh, it was um, totally unexpected, okay? Uh, I call her my baby sister because she's 13 years younger than me, and, you know, I have a lot of memories of her as a small child. She was 59 when she died, and 59 is young nowadays. You know, when we were, we were young, we'd think 59 was old, but when you get to be 70-something, 59, well, that's young. Well, and it actually is. Um, well, around this time, uh, last June, uh, one of my brothers, uh, my brother Vince, was really quite sick. And he was in and out of the hospital, actually from April, May, June of last year. So I got this call from my brother Jerry. He actually left a message, and Reverend Allard picked up the message and said, your brother called. And and uh, he, there was obviously something wrong. He could, he could sense it in his voice. So I call my brother Jerry, and I'm all prepared to hear that my brother Vince has died. Well, what my brother Jerry says, he says, your younger sister has died. So I about dropped the phone. So she, my sister died of a pulmonary embolism, very sudden, quick, fatal. You know, she, she was dead in 45 minutes. They could not resuscitate her. They took her to emergency. By the time I got to the emergency, they, they had stopped trying to resuscitate her. Um, you know, I think her husband very wisely said, that's enough. Um, and they took her off to the funeral home. So we went from the emergency to the funeral home, hoping that we could see her. Um, well, we got there. The, it was closed. Sign on the door saying their hours, and it was closed. But there were people in there. So I knocked on the door, and they kindly let us in. And... Uh, brought my sister's body out of the refrigerator uh, and let me spend some time with her. Um, my sister was a, was a, a redhead. And she looked beautiful. She looked like Jeannie in a lot of ways. You know, she was beautiful, but she, clearly she was dead. She was gone. And I knew she was okay. So I was so grateful for um, all the time I had over had with her over the last 20 years. She did uh, I'll get through this. She did. Uh, so much for me in, in our community. She was a, a nurse practitioner, okay? and she she was just she was a healthcare person for 
a lot of the monks here at the Abbey and hundreds of people in, in the local community. And people loved her. So I found myself in the months after her death um, accepting of her death. You know, she was dead. It was clear. But I also grieved uh, her loss. And um, I, in some ways, I, I still am, obviously. And yet I could let go, okay? And so, you know, I was so grateful for my training that, that I've had because it, it enables me to grieve and yet let go. Reverend Master Jiu said that it, it takes two or three years for the grieving process to settle when, when there's the death of someone close to you. So in Buddhism, there's nothing wrong with grieving. Just nothing wrong with it. And we have to let go. I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me. This is the way it is. To hold on is, is to suffer. My sister lived a life dedicated to helping other people. She just did a lot, of, heck of a lot of good. Her husband and sons and, and the Yalon family, that's our family name, would miss her dearly. And it's okay. This is just the way it is. So, I'm sorry, I didn't think this was going to be emotional after a year. But, and I know that um, you know all of you have stories like this. Okay, people that are near and dear to us pass. The fifth theme, uh, or fifth com- contemplation gives us a way to stand up straight and live uh, with these four inevitabilities. So the fifth contemplation is, I am the owner of my karma, the heir of my karma. I have karma as my origin, karma as my relative, karma as my resort. Well, obviously, it's very close to us, our karma. I will be the heir of whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. So if you know a little bit about the word karma, actually the word karma means action. And the word vipaka means results or consequences. But over time, we seem to have merged them into the one word karma. Um, And uh, vipaka has kind of fallen away. And that's fine. But sometimes in reading this, you know, you can you can see I am the owner of my actions, the heir of my actions. I have actions as my origin, um, actions as my relative, actions as my resort. I will be the heir of what are, whatever actions, good or bad, that I do. I don't know. It gives you a bit of, maybe a bit clearer understanding of that. So we can live uh, in denial of the law of karma. That's that actions cause results. Um, we can do that if we want. Well, and that, what we do end up doing is just make a bigger mess and more karma. So we got more to deal with. Or we can own up and look into our karma. So as it says in the sutta, I am the owner, 
the heir, the origin, the resort of my karma. And karma actually is not negative. Um, It's actually very hopeful. We can change the course of our actions and thus have different results. We can change our attitudes and let things open up. The Buddha pointed the Kalamas to this, okay, that this whole business of karma and consequences, and, and, and what do you want in your life? What do you really want? And, and what, does this, what does this cause? You know, is that really the cause that you want? And human beings with all our fa- faults and shortcomings have a tremendous capacity to change, and that's change for the better. I mean, I've seen that over and over again in my life. As a result of, of these uh, four contemplations, the Buddha um, now gives us something more to talk about. Uh, he says, Now the noble disciple, and the noble disciple is us, contemplate thus I am not the only one who is sure to become old, to fall ill, and to die. But where Wherever beings come and go, pass away and re-arise, and that's, karma, that's rebirth, they are all subject to old age, illness, and death. Further, the noble disciple, and again, the noble disciple is us, contemplates thus, I am not the only one who must be separated and parted from what is dear and loved. I am not the only one who is, who is the owner an heir of their actions. But wherever beings come and go, pass away and re-arise, again, that's re-arising as rebirth, all must be separated and parted from what is dear and beloved. And all are owners and heirs of their actions. So, I mean, it's obvious we're all in the same boat. And in fact, we're crossing the same river, the same ocean. Um, When we realize this, when we really realize it, sympathy, empathy, and compassion arise quite naturally in our hearts. This is why it's crazy that we fight and bicker and go to war. Uh, We're all the one big body. The questions should not be, what can I get from life? Um, What am I owed by life? But how can I live in a way that benefits and enriches ourselves and others. Indulging in fear of death, illness, aging, and loss will only isolate us. Fear makes you build walls, because you, know, you have to protect yourself. And in fact, it's not a real protection. And having been born, we all face the same things. So why don't we put our energy into benefiting each other? We don't have to keep the wheel of karma rolling in the wrong direction. Life is not predestined. It's very clear in Buddhism. We do not believe that life is predestined and there's no hope or chance. It's actually our opportunity. As I said yesterday, human beings all have a PhD in suffering. Let us look into what causes suffering and put an end to it because that's what the Buddha taught. There is suffering and there is an end to suffering. And in fact, that end to suffering is nirvana. If we contemplate these five themes, 
the Noble Eightfold Path is generated. There's a way out of suffering. We can pursue that path, develop it, and cultivate it. That which fetters us can be abandoned, and the underlying tendencies that lead to suffering can be uprooted. Homage to all the Buddhas in all worlds. Homage to all the Bodhisattvas in all worlds. Homage to the scripture of great wisdom. <laughs>